The sermon passage for today is Exodus 19. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man. He shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in a smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Our Father, at this time, your people are gathered around your word. And we offer a very simple prayer. Lord, would you... Cause us to see you as you really are. Lord, would you fill us with a reverence that reorients who we are. And Lord, would you give us great joy in your mercy and grace extended to us. Please, Lord, Be kind to your people in these ways. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's really good to see all of you this morning. If you 
have a Bible, please take it and turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 19. Um, For several months, we've been studying the book of Exodus, and we're going to return to that study today. Our study's kind of been under the banner, Our God Saves. And um, the book of Exodus is about a journey that God's people, Israel, were taken on by God. And this journey freed them, redeemed them, made them God's people, caused them to know Him in a new way, and shaped who they were and are. And really, what we're hoping for and praying for as we study the book of Exodus is that we too would be shaped by the way that God redeems and calls and restores and shapes and transforms His people. And so that is what we want to happen to us as we study the book of Exodus. So today we're going to look at Exodus chapter 19 in preparation for you know, next week, Exodus 20. And what this really boils down to is I have three weeks to convey to you the gift that is God's law to his people. And so today, chapter 19, is a bit of preparation. And the preparation for Israel is to understand very simply that God is holy. Now that's a bunch of churchy gobbledygook that we're going to unpack this morning. But the reality is that God is holy. And because God is holy, the people need to prepare to enter his presence. And they need to prepare to become God's representatives in the world as a transformed people. And both of those Preparations are, are getting kick-started here in Exodus 19. So, if you want to take notes this morning, the first point is a new place. A new place. Um, by that, I mean a new physical place. Israel is entering Sinai. If you wanted to think of, of the Exodus story like a novel, you might say a new chapter or a new Acts. Like we're coming to a new movement in, the, in the, the unfolding of this story. And this is found in verses 1 and 2, which are those factual verses that we almost just skip right over. And frankly, I almost skipped right over it. But let's, let's, let's look at this because I think it's going to shape our, our conversation today. So the story of the exodus thus far, has kind of had act one, the crisis of slavery and genocide against God's people in Israel, excuse me, in Egypt. Act two, the calling of Moses by God to be the deliverer uh, of God's people. Act three, the ten plagues, um, the ten actions of God against the false gods of Egypt. Act four, the Exodus, God actually delivering his people through the Passover event, through the Red Sea event, actually delivering his people from slavery in Egypt, which then began act five, the desert wanderings, them moving what felt 
humanly speaking, like aimless wandering, was guided by God himself in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire through the desert. And now this kicks off what we might call Act 6, which is the period in Sinai, the period in the Sinai wilderness at the base of Mount Sinai. And so we're told, um, the ESV translation that I'm reading says, on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, some of your translations may say on the third month, um, I'm on team new moon, but it doesn't really matter that much. Uh, The third new moon would mean that it's been seven weeks since the Passover. Think about that. That's a lot of activity in seven weeks. We're like seven weeks from Easter. Kids, we're like seven weeks from spring break. It's not a long time. The third month would be somewhere between nine, 10, 11 weeks. Like there's not a huge distinction here, but, but, but an interesting time marker. Like a lot Exodus 14, Exodus 15, Exodus 16, Exodus 17, Exodus 18. A lot has transpired in a seven-week journey. And we who know the end from the beginning, they got about 39 and three-quarters years left of this here journey, right? So they're beginning a new period. They've entered the wilderness of Sinai, and they're encamped before the mountain that is called Sinai. Now, we might stop there and go, okay, timeline, good. So let's, let, before we leave our timeline, let's, let's finish our timeline, okay? So this Sinai period, this sixth act that I'm talking about, it lasts from Exodus 19 through the end of Exodus, the time period of the book of Leviticus, and the time period of Numbers 1 through 10. So a big piece of your early year Bible reading plans that you are in the middle of right here is within this Sinai time period. And in human calendar terms, that period is one year. One year. So the end of Exodus, Leviticus, the beginning of Numbers is is one year of unfolding. Now, we might go, okay, good. I know that. So that's some good Bible knowledge. Let's move on. Let's not move on so quickly, okay? Look at the end of verse 2. There, there being in Sinai, Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. Okay, cool. They camped. Moses went up the mountain. What's the big deal? Why did Moses go so quickly up the mountain? This harkens us back to Exodus 3. And don't don't worry, it won't offend me that you don't remember that great sermon that was preached from Exodus 3. I don't think I preached that one. Ben, did you preach that one? Somebody else preached it. It doesn't matter. It won't hurt their feelings either. But here's the thing. In Exodus 3... God met Moses in a burning bush on this mountain. And God said, go back to Egypt 
and I'm going to use you to deliver my people from Pharaoh. And Moses said, you're crazy. And God said, no, I'm not. Verse 12, that you're crazy. That's the Jamie uninspired version. I just want to be really clear about that, okay? That's not in the Bible. But Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, God said, Moses, I will be with you. You're going to go back to Egypt, and I'm going to be present with you. You will not be alone, and you will not have to act alone. I will be with you. And then he said this, and this shall be the sign for you. There's a sign that says go. What is it? When I have brought the people out of Egypt, you will stand right here on this mountain and serve me again. See what's going on? God says, Moses, I want you to go. And the thing that I want to motivate you and give you hope and confidence and peace as you go is that I'm going to be with you and you're going to be so successful, but that you and the people will be right here and you will serve me on this mountain. So in verse 3 says that Israel encamped before the mountain and Moses went up to God. Can you imagine what's going on up there? Moses is standing and he is looking out over the people and he's in the presence of the Lord and he's remembering the last time I stood here, God said, you'll be here again and you will have been victorious. Moses is getting to experience the complete fulfillment of God's promises. He's getting to experience longing met. Hardship overcome, desire fulfilled because the Lord said he would do it. And him serving God among the people on the mountain says, I did it, Moses. I did it. If if we don't take from this a shouting banner that God fulfills his word and God keeps his promises and that God in his providence gives us glimpses of that fulfilling, completing, providential power in such a way that it gives us hope. That's what's going on here. Moses' hopes have been met in God's faithfulness to Moses and to the people. You might say, okay, cool, that's really good for Moses, Jamie. But what does that have to do with me? We talked earlier during the prayer time about living in a fallen world. Living in a fallen world is living with unmet expectations, unmet hopes, unmet longings, unmet desires. The question of the fallen world is very simply this. Excuse me. The question of faith in a fallen world is very simply this. How long, O Lord? And faith is saying, I will keep running to the Lord and I will keep trusting him and I'll keep following him and I will keep believing that he keeps 
his word and his promises to his people. And we get this glimpse of Moses walking into fulfillment, walking into expectation fulfilled, hopes realized. And we recognize that that's how God works toward his people. He speaks, he promises, we trust, we follow, he fulfills. He speaks, we trust, he works. He speaks, we trust, he works. And so whatever your how long, O Lord, moment this morning, let this story remind you that God keeps his words. Second point, defining the relationship. I realize that's a little flippant and irreverent for what's going on here, but it's literally accurate. God is defining for Israel what their relationship to him is. It's in verses 3 through 8. So Moses is on the mountain, and the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So God begins by saying to Moses, You are my people because of my majestic power worked on your behalf. Israel's relationship to God is always rooted in what God did for Israel and never reversed. Israel's relationship to God is always rooted in what God did for Israel. Now we can broaden that and say our relationship to God is always rooted in what God did for us and never in the reverse. Now, here comes the invitation. Verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, what that means is Israel wasn't delivered from Egypt so that Israel could be whatever Israel wants to be. Israel wasn't delivered from Egypt so that Israel could create its destiny. Israel wasn't delivered from Egypt so that Israel could find their purpose in life. And all that applies to us too. Rather, Israel was redeemed from Egypt to be transformed and carry out God's purposes of building a kingdom to the ends of the earth. That's the rest of verse 5. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. That's a kingdom of those who represent God to the world, a gathering of those who 
bring God's word and God's truth to the world. And a holy nation, that is, a nation set apart to display my transforming power. Now, Moses, go and speak all these words to Israel. And so verse 7 says that Moses went and called the elders and set before them everything God had said. And they answered together, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words to the people, excuse me, the words of the people to the Lord. So here's what's going on here. The relationship between God and Israel is defined by what God has done for Israel and by what God desires for Israel. And Israel recognizes that this is true. The relationship between the people of God and God is always defined by what God has done for them and by the purpose that God has given to them. And you might say, hold on, Jamie. We're not Israel. We're not living in the wilderness before the mountain. And you're not Moses, to which I would say, true, true, and true. Very true. But the Bible says our relationship to God is very, very similar. Christ is the bridge. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. You, Christians, followers of Christ... Look for the similarity. Our chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What's Peter saying? Church of Jesus, you're God's people by God's saving power. And church of Jesus, God intends you to be his ambassadors and his representatives and those who are transformed Beings to the ends of the earth. Now, you ready to be overwhelmed with some goodness this morning? You're all like, yeah, please, please. Israel, a people called by God's power for God's purposes. The church in Christ, a people called by God's power for God's purposes. Yeah, Jamie, but the church, man, we're failing. We are. But you know what the scripture promises? We're going to get our moment just like Moses had on the mountain. I want you to hear this promise from Revelation chapter 5. And again, listen. Listen for the themes. Before the throne of Jesus. This is verses 9 and 10. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, 
For you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Excuse me. You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them, those whom you ransomed, a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on earth. Do you hear what's being said there? It will be. The people of God will be purified by God and will reign to the, and be a light that extends to the ends of the earth such that before the throne will be the tribes and the languages and the people and the nations, which means God's plan A of building a church that is his mission's agency works because it's God's plan. And we will be used by God for the purposes that he intended, no matter how we try to reorient it or restructure it, because he will be victorious. It will be. We follow him. So one, I ask you to recognize that our relationship with God begins and carry on, carries on and ends with God's power and on God's terms. I ask you to recognize that everything about us who are in Christ is called to be a servant of this greater purpose of living as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation before our God. And if you feel inadequate and you feel helpless and you feel hurting and you feel broken, I invite you to look to Jesus because the power and the redemption and the healing and the sending and the energy and the calling and the transformation all flows through him by the power of the spirit that he has given to us. And if you're here today exploring the faith, not sure who you are before God or how you stand before God, there's an invitation to come to his son and be welcomed to his people. And we would extend that invitation to all of you today. So God is defining his relationship with his people. Now you might say, okay, pastor, I'd really like to know a whole lot more than just, um, than just keep my covenant and all that he commanded. Like, could you give me some more of that? Because that seems pretty vague and in the realm of idea. I would say you should come back because... Beginning in Exodus 19 and continuing all the way through the end of the book of Leviticus is God answering that question for you. What does it, what does it look like? And we're going to wrestle through the beginnings of that together. The final nail that needs to be driven is the most important nail. The God to whom we are relating is a holy, mighty, powerful 
just and right being who is worthy of reverence and awe. The God that we are approaching is a holy God. And so that's the third point, the holy God. In verses 9 through 25, are God preparing, excuse me, God using Moses to prepare the people to enter into his holy presence. So, so I told you, we got to define this, this Christianese buzzword of a holy God. And so I'm going to borrow directly from a man named Walter Elwell. That's E-L-W-E-L-L. I didn't come up with this. I don't want to plagiarize. Thank you, Mr. Elwell. He says this. God is holy in that he is utterly distinct from his creation. The word holy literally means other, separated. So God is holy in that he is utterly distinct from his creation. And exercises sovereign majesty and power over it. So he exercises kingship and dominion, majesty and power over all creation. His holiness is especially prominent in the Psalms and the prophets where holiness emerges as a synonym for Israel's God. Thus, Scripture ascribes to God the titles Holy, Holy One, and Holy One of Israel. So the character of who God is as unique and distinct and unlike all of the finite brokenness we see in creation and pure and just and powerful can all be summarized in this idea of his holiness. He's other than us. He's holy in his presence. He's holy in his word. He is the holy God. And what the rest of this passage highlights is sinful people must be careful in how they approach a holy God. The only reason we can come so quickly into the presence of God and so freely into the presence of God and so freely into prayer and so freely into worship and so freely to ask for things like new jobs and new houses and wisdom for decisions is because Jesus' blood stands between us and the Lord. He sees Christ's perfection when he looks upon us. And the rest of this passage says sinful people need to be careful about approaching a holy God. So he says, Moses, I want you to go down. And I want you to tell the people they got to consecrate themselves. They got to get ready to meet the holy God. It says everybody has to, it says to wash their garments. So that's a physical, there's a physical preparation going on here. So you got thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people in a desert doing laundry on the same day because God only gave them two days. All you logistics people, like your head is just spinning. And then the Lord said, I want you to refrain. 
a good Bible word for that is fast. I want you to refrain from certain activities. That's verse 15. As a means of preparation. And then I want you to put a physical boundary around the bottom of the mountain. Because you're not going to want to pass the line. You're not going to want to come up on the mountain when the, the full glory of God is being revealed on the mountain because it's dangerous for unprepared sinful people to come into the presence of a holy God. And just remember, all these restrictions are not God's tyrannical controlling of you. They're gracious gifts. Because if you end up unprepared on that mountain, it will not go well for you. Or for me. Or for anyone else. So they, they consecrate themselves. They get ready. The presence of God comes. And he says this time is going to be something unique. I'm not just going to speak directly to Moses. But I'm going to speak in such a way that everybody hears what I say. Because I, this is so important. I don't want them to just have to take Moses' word for it. I want them to hear. says there was lightning, there was thunder, there was a cloud, there was a fire inside the cloud. So much so that scholars who are skeptical of um, the truthfulness of the Bible say, oh, well, Mount Sinai must have been a volcano. No, Mount Sinai is where God showed up. But when God shows up, it looks a lot like a volcano. The people gather around, the trumpets blow And the chapter ends like this. Hey, Moses, why don't you go on back down there and remind them one more time, don't come up on the mountain. Moses, before I start speaking, just remind the people that they're standing in the presence of the one true holy God. Friends, I want us to always remember who this God is that we approach in the name of Jesus. And I want us to not lose our reverence and our awe at who He is and the fact that we're welcomed as His children into his kingdom to be transformed by him to bear fruit for him. The church has danced for centuries between a too high view of God and a too low view of God. So much reverence that it feels like we can't know him and so much let's curl up in his lap and call him daddy that we forget that he's a holy God. I don't know where that middle road exactly is for all of us. But let's remember who God is. And let's remember who we are. And let's remember that we're only welcomed because of his decisive action on our behalf. On our behalf. And let's choose to follow him and love him and serve him and worship him and remember that he's the Lord and we are not.
Let that be the shaping reality that shakes everything out for us. Father, would you teach these things to us, your people, today? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.